Today on the Village Health Podcast, we'll be talking about low-carb diets. Should you do one? Which one should you do? We'll also be diving into carbohydrates. Should you eat fruit? Uh, should you do fake artificial sugars like stevia, aspartame, uh, xylitol, things like that, and much, much more. So let's dive right in. Why don't we pick off right where we left off last time? So we talked about the dysfunctional fats and then we talked about adding in healthy fats, and then we kind of left people wanting more when we talked about <laughs> carbohydrates. So let's pick up right there and jump into the conversation about carbs. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, I'd highly recommend going back, giving it a listen. It really uh, sets up a lot of what we're talking about today. Although, if you're just gonna jump in and listen today anyway, you're still gonna get a ton of good stuff out of this. So let's uh, revisit that idea of unhealthy, versus healthy hunger, because that's gonna play a really, really big role in how we figure out this carbohydrate thing. Now, unhealthy hunger, that's that whole hanger, that's the uh, dizziness, that's the mood swings, that's the really bad fatigue, the shakes, the heart palpitations, all that stuff. Whereas healthy hunger is just, well, it's feeling like you're hungry. It's feeling like maybe your stomach's a little empty, maybe a little bit rumbly. And we need that feeling to guide us in what we eat. And when we start talking about carbs, we start to talk about foods that can massively trigger hunger. They can actually make us feel even hungrier than when we started eating them. And of course, the taste that makes us so hungry is that sweet taste, the sweet, sweet taste of sugar. And sugar is a very fast carb. It's one that quickly puts a Band-Aid on that energy crisis we talked about in the last podcast. It's something that's quickly metabolized and goes up straight to our brain through the blood-brain barrier and gives us a sense of renewed energy for a very short amount of time. So let's talk about these fast, rapidly absorbing carbs, and then let's talk about their slower-absorbing counterparts and let's talk about why you might want to make a baby step before you make a giant leap from a typical American diet into something like a keto diet or an ultra low carb diet. Mm -hmm. All carbs turn into sugar within the body. It's probably a good place to start from. <laughs> um, so whether it's oatmeal, a sweet potato, uh, a raspberry, or a Pop-Tart, Sugar is sugar and carbs turn into sugar. That's that's what spikes the hormone insulin within our bodies and causes us to store fat and all the other stuff we've been talking about. Yet, you'd be much better off eating a sweet potato or a locally grown raspberry than you would a Pop-Tart for numerous reasons. Um, but one of the reasons is that the speed at which insulin spikes is related to the complexity of the carbohydrate and uh, how quickly it gets metabolized into sugar and that's important for health reasons um, so when people eat things like you know straight simple grain breakfast like um, cornflakes or special k whatever that that turns into sugar really quickly within our bodies which spikes insulin and causes us to store fat or, or for example uh you know a coke or something like that a soda those sugar calories are converted very quickly or those those calories are converted very quickly to an insulin spike within the body which causes fat storage so one of the baby steps that we encourage people to make is to shift from 
really fast digesting carbohydrates to slower digesting ones. Is that where you were? Exactly. We're leading. Okay. Exactly. Because we don't want to use too much willpower. We just don't have that much of it. And it's much better used on things like our most important relationships and things in our, uh, that have more to do with, with what we do purposefully throughout the day in our, in our occupation, our vocation. We want our willpower when dealing with other people in difficult situations in the world, not when trying to choose what we eat. Eating should be a restorative, wonderful, nourishing experience, not one that taxes your patience and your willpower. So it's a lot easier to just make simple switches that start to solve the energy crisis than it is to make these giant leaps. And it's often very, very feasible to simply switch from a fast-absorbing carbohydrate like a piece of white bread to a much slower absorbing carbohydrate, like a delicious slice of Ezekiel 4.9 sprouted bread, where you've got all of these different seeds and grains that have been actually sprouted before they were turned into bread, which not only gives them a whole lot more nutritional complexity, but also slows down how rapidly they're absorbed. And this in turn changes that energy crisis from the up, down, up, down, up, down. It kind of starts to make those peaks and valleys a little bit further apart. And that's why it's such a good transition to make. So let's talk about a lot of the typical fast absorbing carbohydrates that people are eating. And you already mentioned some, and let's start to do a little bit of a, of a, this or that, this for that, eat this, not that. That's a good idea. Is that trademarked? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) So breakfast, a typical breakfast for an American would be, um, cereal with low fat milk. Uh, maybe a glass of orange juice and I don't know, a bagel too, <laughs> or, or some combination of those. And all of those are fairly fast digesting carbohydrates. You've got most cereals that is are, are pretty heavy in, in sugar or they're such simple grains that they turn into sugar in a snap. Exactly. So the more refined and, and powdered refined, and refined. your <laughs> Irish came out there. It did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, The closer a grain is to when it was a grain, or even if that grain, like when it sprouted, starts to move towards becoming a vegetable, it's going to be a much more whole food, more complex, a thing that your body breaks down slower. The more that you dry it and pulverize and process it, the faster, the the smaller the particles are, the faster your body is going to absorb them. So there's a big difference between, say, a wheat berry that somebody has crushed by hand into a a rather coarse flour and the type of bleached refined wheat flour that's in so many of our products and our staples. And it's not just wheat, it could be corn, it could even be oats, but the more processed something is, the faster it's gonna be absorbed. Uh, And on that note of oats, you know, a lot of people start their day with oatmeal and think that it's really, really healthy. But those, you know, the depending on which oats you're getting, you might be getting something that is actually absorbing pretty much just as fast as a white flour. So when you are having those, um, those quick one minute oats, you know, that, you know, just even on a, on a particularly human day already turn into oatmeal, (laughs) probably you're getting a very fast carb. And then if you're having those oatmeal packets that also have the brown sugar and and other stuff, then, then, then of course those are, that's just straight sugar, which is also really, really fast. 
orange juice. Very different from an actual orange because an actual orange, you have to chew it. There's fiber. There's other things going on. Orange juice is just ready to go. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> probably faster absorbing than, you know, even, even just white sugar. Yeah. Now you want to talk about like the, some of the better options for breakfast for people. Exactly. I mean, I think, I think we just need to have a, a little bit of an awareness that some of the things that absorb rapidly we're aware of like sugar, but some of the other things like cereal or oatmeal even, or depending on the type of bread, the type of flour might be completely different. So I think an awareness is important. Yeah, totally. So you talked about Ezekiel 49 products, like anything sprouted, mm -hmm. that would be a much better option for people than mm -hmm. just a, a slice of traditional bread. Um, we kind of stand on the, the whole grain thing is, yeah, maybe it's marginally better than just like a straight white bread, but n not a whole lot. Um, and I've actually seen studies that show that there are brands of wheat bread that actually are... Um, faster on that glycemic index than white bread, which is crazy. That's crazy. It doesn't really matter. All of it's so high that it all kind of falls into the same category. So you don't really have to split hairs there. But if your bread is not a sprouted grain bread or not a rather expensive traditionally made bread like a sourdough or something like that, it's probably one of those really fast absorbing carbohydrates that we want to start to phase out. Yeah. So better options for breakfast. We talked about the sprouted grain bread. Um, you could also do something like eggs with veggies. So uh, like kale or spinach sauteed in a little bit of ghee, which is clarified butter, does have some carbs in it. And that would be a much slower digesting, healthier carb than, say, uh, a piece of white bread. Is that too aggressive for this <laughs> sort of switch? It, it might be. I mean, yeah. for, for some people, the, the thought that they can have instead of their, you know, 0% uh, milk and their, uh, you know, cardboard cereal or whatever, yeah. that they can have a delicious egg or two cooked in butter mm -hmm. with sautéed greens also in butter is sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. But for other people, they might not be able to cook. Or okay. they might just really, really love that piece of toast. All right. I got an answer for those folks. <laughs> All right. So how about uh, yogurt, 100% grass-fed, full-fat yogurt, uh, some nuts, and some berries on top mm. of there. So some slower digesting carbohydrates and the berries. They've got a lot of fiber. Um, yogurt, you know, if it's full fat, you're going to get some of the healthy fats that we talk about. Nuts mm -hmm. also do have carbohydrates, most mm -hmm. of them, mm -hmm. and they are definitely slower digesting than, mm -hmm. say, the glass of orange juice that was aforementioned. <laughs> Absolutely. So as far as fruits go, your best bet is to stick to berries. So blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries. Uh, strawberries are incredible. And 100 grams of strawberries, which is like three or four really big strawberries, is only about seven grams of carbs, which is pretty good. Not too bad when you think about uh, a glass of orange juice being somewhere between 30 and 40 grams not just of carbs but of sugar yeah it's probably just harder to eat as many grams of carbs and sugar when it's in uh the natural form that it's meant to be in than uh like orange juice which is concentrated 
Exactly. Orange juice is pretty much just a sugar IV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, we've counseled a lot of people through nutritional changes, and I have some people that are just die-hard orange juice folks. They, they literally fresh squeeze their own orange juice, and they just love it. And for those folks, that's fine. There's still some nutritional benefits to orange juice, especially if you're growing the oranges yourself and juicing them yourselves. Um, but that's where you want to go from, you know, eight to 12 ounces, or maybe even having, you know, two or three glasses and just, you know, pouring more until the pitcher is gone to having it really as a, a little sweet treat, little punctuation in your breakfast. That's more like two to four ounces. And also just the overall load of carbohydrates that you're putting in your body is important as well, because if you have a little glass of orange juice and the rest of your breakfast is a couple of pasteurized eggs with some spinach sauteed in butter and some bacon it's like well you really don't have that many carbs in the rest of your breakfast and it's fine but most people it's in the context of oatmeal with low-fat milk and a bagel um, and then they have a muffin at 10 a.m and then a big sandwich at lunch and then pasta for dinner and it's like okay that added on top of the huge volume of carbs you've had throughout the day is going to add up to insulin constantly getting spiked up really high yeah so if your head's spinning right now if you were thinking about bread and then now you're thinking about eggs and then you're thinking about fruit and then you're thinking about juice and, and you're trying to to keep track of everything we're saying well let's slow down a little bit and let's put some numbers on this so a good rule of thumb would be before lunch to not have more than 30 grams of carbs so what is 30 grams of carbs? Yeah, bananas 27, an average size banana. One banana pretty much does you in. Yeah. A typical slice of toast, 25 grams. Glass of orange juice, we already said 30 to 40. Yeah. Oatmeal, probably somewhere in the ballpark of 30. Yep. An ounce of oatmeal would be, I think, around 25 grams, and most people are having at least two to three ounces whoa yeah so it quickly 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 becomes an awful lot of carbohydrates that your body then turns into sugar well some of it was already sugar and then requires insulin to deal with and that's one of the reasons why people have said oh well you know spread it out more that there's so much carbo loading all at once just eat these tiny little meals throughout the day to give your insulin a chance to catch up. But as we talked about, that's problematic. So how can we get a really satisfying breakfast that still includes a lot of those elements that people love in a breakfast, but keep it around 30 grams? Well, that is, this is gonna become basically a product placement for, for Ezekiel 4.9. <laughs> So Ezekiel 4.9, this brand, they make bread, and that bread's about uh, 15 grams of carbs or less per slice, so you can have that, uh, that piece of bread. Uh, we already talked about berries being around 7, uh, seven grams for um, you know, an 100-gram portion of it, which is about a fistful, which is about what most people want in terms of fruit. When it comes to nuts and seeds, we're also looking at around three to four grams in the, the tablespoon or two that most people will eat. When we talk about, um, you know, replacing oatmeal, which is just, and cereal, which is really high, uh, Ezekiel 49, of course, makes a, makes a product, which is 
They should really pay us for this podcast. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the company. Uh, but they make a granola, and the granola is uh, still you know, mostly carbohydrates, so you don't want to eat boxes of it. But a couple tablespoons is enough to really liven up some yogurt with that quintessential crunch that we love, a little bit of that grainy, multi kind of flavor. And because it's made from those sprouted grains and seeds, it's got a lot more nutrition and fiber packed in. So for people who are like die hard, I love my oatmeal, I'll usually tell them to do three or four tablespoons of these Ezekiel 4-9 granola cereal, and you can just soak it in some whole fat milk, and uh, you can even heat it up if you want. It creates a wonderful, wonderful texture, very similar to oatmeal, but better. <laughs> you can use it as cereal just directly in some whole milk. That also gives you that crunchiness that some people really want in their cereal, or you can just use it to accent other things. So uh, my wife, every morning for breakfast, she has a piece of sprouted bread toast, so that's about 15 grams of carbs, tablespoon of sunflower seed butter, so another uh, three to four grams, a couple of berries and blueberry, uh, um, blueberries and raspberries, so that brings us up now to about 25, and then she'll sprinkle a little bit of that granola on top for the crunch, and then that brings it to uh, around 27, 28. Who's counting though? Who's counting? I'm, I'm, I'm apparently I'm counting. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, I think it's good though to have some idea of where the numbers actually do fall. Mm -hmm. And then of course, the better solution is probably just to prioritize things like vegetables, eggs, uh, full fat dairy, like yogurt mm -hmm. or cheese. It's a really, really good way to have an incredibly satisfying breakfast bacon. Oh my goodness but not even have to worry about the carbs because you're just not eating any. But like we've talked about in the last podcast, if people have been eating toxic fats and tons of carbs for a long time, it's pretty tough to make the transition from the standard American diet to a low-carb diet. Exactly. People get into the problems like the, the keto flu or the energy problems when they do the intermittent fasting thing. And so to answer the question from the beginning of the podcast, should you do a low-carb diet? The answer is yes, but maybe not yet. Exactly, which is why you want to try to start to replace all of those fast carbs with slow carbs and also limit when you eat them. So let's talk about lunch now. I think we've, I think we've, we've adequately fried the breakfast eggs. <laughs> That's a time to, go, time to go out for lunch now. <laughs> Nobody will ever use again. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so lunch, um, what is the typical lunch? Sandwich, uh, sandwich. chips, chips, uh, tacos, something carb. Leftover pasta. Yeah, something carb-heavy. Oh, gosh, that Tupperware with the leftover spaghetti, and it's just like the walls of the Tupperware are just stained orangish <laughs> red from the ragu sauce that you used or whatever the brand. <laughs> oh, man. I just And then you put it in the microwave, and hopefully it's covered, you know, in the office. Yeah. But if not, it just splatters everywhere, and there's just years of built-up spaghetti stained splatterings and then the whole everything smells like sorry i, I apparently we, we don't judge people's lunch choices though clearly i apparently clearly. had a lot of traumatic experiences with with lunch rooms and, yeah yeah you uh, did man leftover wow. pasta yeah i got a guy you should get some therapy for yeah, that i should get some therapy clearly that i need to work some things out. <laughs> i'm gonna excuse myself you, you take care of the next couple minutes of the podcast. got it man go. i could i could do it 
So uh, if you're a big spaghetti person, uh, an alternative would be some sort of vegetable noodle in your spaghetti. So you can still have the same exact spaghetti. This would be a little bit more of an aggressive alternative, but like a zucchini noodle or a butternut squash uh, that you cook, you can look up those recipes online. And then you mix it with the exact same, the sauce you use, um, some meatballs, whatever. Or just have less of the pasta and have more of the the meat and the sauce. Those are those are two alternatives. Obviously, the more aggressive one would be the vegetable noodles, um, or you could just have a salad, a, a big salad with with nuts, with um, some sort of protein, like uh, wild caught canned salmon or tuna or anchovies or sardines. You could even add some of the meat you made the night before to it. You could put some eggs on a salad if you're crazy, like me. Uh, <laughs> some cheese. I think I already said nuts, but I'll say it again. Nuts, seeds. Um, I probably said seeds already too. <laughs> You're getting really excited about this salad. Dude, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's almost lunchtime here. <laughs> oh, man. So let's talk about that hunger though. Let's talk about the, the good hunger versus the bad hunger. Yeah. So Matt, uh, I'm looking at you right now and you're energetic. You're, you did mention seeds uh, a couple of times. but Twice. Twice at least. Uh, but I'm going to say that for the most part, you're pretty clear-headed right now. You yeah. don't seem like you're in a brain fog. Uh, you don't appear to be having mood swings. I mean, you were, you know, crying in the corner a second ago, and then, yeah. you know, and then I saw you, you know, yelling at somebody under your breath. But no, I'm just kidding. So, and yet you're hungry. So, how would you describe the hunger that you're experiencing? Is it high energy or low energy? Does it is it something that's energizing you right now, or is it something that makes you want to fall asleep? I mean, I have more energy right now. I have just as much energy right now as any other point today. This would be like the peak. Of, this is know. a simple yes or no question, <laughs> and the court will show. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to answer this the way you want it, man. I'm just going to be honest, okay? <laughs> I feel fine. He feels fine. So yeah. you would say that you are you have some energy. I have normal. I have good energy right now. High okay. energy. Great. Yes. yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> Wait, would you say that you are feeling pretty focused on the task at hand or do you feel like your your mind is wandering all over the place and you can't quite get a grip on, on on what you're thinking about fully focused on the task at hand fully focused sir it's a little difficult that you're anticipating food and we're also talking about food so we're going to give you the, the court's going to give you a pass on that one well what's interesting though is the more i've gotten into this metabolic flexibility thing and trying to get my body to metabolize fat the more i've found that as i get closer to mealtime um, or my next meal, I actually do get more focused where it used to be totally the opposite where as I would get close to further away from my last meal, I'd be like lightheaded, really hungry, couldn't stay focused. Um, if I was working with a patient, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't think straight. I'm so hungry. And I really don't experience that very often anymore, if at all. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's almost lunchtime. I, all I've eaten today is a few squares of chocolate and some I had coffee this morning and I feel pretty good still. That's awesome. And what if something happened and you couldn't eat lunch? Do you think that you you just have a terrible afternoon and not be able to think, not be able to do anything? No. I think I'd be <laughs> all right. I'd probably have the same amount of energy until dinner time. We actually uh, a couple of weeks ago we finished our second book together, Matt and I, and uh Dr. Matt was in the middle of 3 days of only eating once a day. So he was just having dinner and that was it. And he was energetic and focused as anybody could be 
when trying to finish a finish a book, which is never a fun task. If you've had fun finishing a book, let us know. I'd, I'd love to meet you and, and see how that went. <laughs> but it's amazing to think that my whole experience, the majority of my life was people getting cranky, people getting brain fog if they didn't get their snack, if we didn't get a break in whatever session it was, that it was just like the energy was gone, the mood was gone, the focus was gone. It had to be broken up by by all of these food breaks. And, and now it's like it doesn't even really matter. But that's enough about healthy hunger versus unhealthy hunger for uh-huh. now. Let's get back to talking about what to eat for lunch. So we talked about switching out the conventional noodles for the pasta noodles. And the great thing about those is they actually do have some carbohydrate in them, some slower carbohydrate. So when you're having zucchini or, or butternut squash, which a lot of the, the prepackaged noodles you can, you can buy are made out of, you're still getting those slow carbs. So you're still not going all the way from tons of carbs to zero carb diet. You're making a smooth transition. So they're great options. Like Dr. Matt said, another uh, really good strategy is just to not eat so much of it. You can still have a fistful of pasta, and you're still looking at about 20 to 30 grams there. But that's very different from when you just have an endless, giant bowl. Endless, bottomless pasta. (laughs) Of pasta. And then a lot of people, if they're going to have that pasta with a bunch of other high-carb snacks that they bring with their lunch, a bag of chips, bag of pretzels, breadsticks maybe if we're doing the italian thing there's often more carbs involved there a can of soda or another can of or a bottle of juice or something and all of a sudden you're looking at 70 80 100 grams of carbs that you've just dumped into your body that now you have to trigger this massive insulin response to take care of really quick let's talk about pasta sauce a lot of times it has sugar so pasta sauce is something that you want to check the ingredients of. There are brands that have sugar. There are brands that don't have sugar. Read your labels, read your labels, read your labels. If you buy a product, read the label. If you're going to go out and eat at a restaurant, try to get an idea of what you're going to eat before you get there. That is if it's like a big chain thing. They often have all of their nutrition info posted, and you can make much smarter choices when you actually know what's in the food that you eat. All right. Dinner time? What about sandwiches? Oh, sorry. Go Don't ahead. forget about sandwiches. Okay. Gosh, if only there was some sort of bread, <laughs> some sort of company that would pay us for promoting their products. Oh, Ezekiel 49. Ezekiel 49. Here's another idea, though, since we already talked about that, and I think that people get it. <laughs> I don't know. I think I should talk some more about it. Um, Costco actually right now has these uh, cheese tortillas. They're 100% just Parmesan cheese, and they're shaped like a tortilla. <laughs> They're all fat, no carbs whatsoever, wow. a little bit of protein, and they're like little discs, and you can literally put anything you would put um, <laughs> inside of a tortilla or a sandwich inside of these things. But you know what the best way to eat a sandwich is, Dr. Eric? <laughs> What's that? Uh, take both pieces of bread and throw them out. Oh my and just eat your sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> or how about this? Here's a good starter for somebody that's trying to shift to eating less carbs. How about one slice of bread? Just as much meat, just as much veg, just as much cheese, one slice of bread instead of two. Or, you know, I feel like you were going to say something about Ezekiel 4-9 bread. I don't know. Something, maybe a premonition <laughs> has come upon me. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we've, we've counseled so many people through nutrition, and we've seen the willpower thing come up again and again. And for a lot of people, it's like, I've been eating a sandwich 
between two slices of bread since I was in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And I'm not about to stop mm -hmm. now. <laughs> so I just want those diehard folks, those diehard sandwich folks, to have a, a better option. Perfect. Before they go a little further into the deep end. The cheesy, cheesy tortilla option. Yeah. I mean, Parmesan cheese tortilla, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Should we talk j just, just ever so briefly about the meat that's going in those sandwiches? I think we should save that for our sourcing. Oh, okay. All right. Read your ingredient labels yep. and uh, source responsibly. We'll be on a later <laughs> podcast. What about, what about the condiments though? Well, we talked about vegetable oil, which mm -hmm. is prevalent. And then we also talked about sugar, which many condiments have sugar, the preservatives in a lot of condiments. So, I mean, if you stick with like a nice whole grain mustard that has uh, mustard seeds, actual seeds, <laughs> actual seeds Turmeric. ground up. So anti-inflammatory. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm okay with vinegar. Do you have any thoughts, opinions on that? I'm all about it. Okay, cool. So the things that you want to look out for that people typically put on sandwiches in terms of condiments are things like mayonnaise. It's almost always soybean oil. And even yeah. if you get the one that says olive oil, it's still mostly soybean oil. You have to actually look at the ingredient list and make sure that the thing you're getting is actually olive oil, avocado oil, or coconut oil. And you'll know that you're probably getting the better product that isn't made with soybean oil because it's going to cost more like six or seven bucks a jar instead of like one to two dollars. Mm -hmm. Primal Kitchen makes great condiments. The better option obviously is to make your own. Exactly. Or, or go without them if you can. But I mean, I, I'm a sauce guy. I love sauce. <laughs> and then as far as those salads go that you were salivating over, <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> you also want to be really careful with those dressings because those are almost always soybean oil or canola oil. So you want to either make your own dressing of just something really simple like olive oil and vinegar, or you could even use like a full fat yogurt with a little lemon. Yum. Or you could pay a little bit more money and get a pre-made salad dressing from a company like Primal Kitchen that actually does it without the vegetable oils. Cool. I'm ready for dinner. I'm pretty, pretty hungry. At this yeah. Point, so, well, don't forget to, don't forget your afternoon snack. Cause you, you did have an energy <laughs> crash, right? Around like three, four in the afternoon. No, man, I felt great. Oh yeah. Oh, I see. it's almost like you're starting to eat healthy fats and slow down your carbs. And wow, good for you, Matt. You've really made a lot of progress. Thank you. Just in this short, you know, podcast. <laughs> what if somebody's desperate for a snack, though? That's fine. Just keep it mostly fat. Mostly fat. And uh, this is a little bit outside the realm of this podcast, but I've um, been experimenting. You talked about having most of your carbs later in the day. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really wise strategy as people get further along with slowing their carbs down to think through, okay, I'm going to have most of my carbs at dinner because that's the social meal where I gather with other people. And maybe sometimes it'll be tacos and I will have a couple tortillas and that's totally fine. If the rest of the day, most of your calories came from fat. Exactly. So you had like macadamia nuts, really high percentage, dark chocolate, cream, cheese, um, sardines, salmon, things like that, a big salad, that was where most of your calories came from throughout the day. And then you've saved up for the nighttime and you've been able to control your carbs. What would be a good number of carbs? We talked about having around 30, somewhere like that, you know, breakfast, mm -hmm. lunch, probably mm -hmm. similar. Yeah. But what about just in the day total? Cool. I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. We haven't talked about this. So thank you for setting me up for that softball. Yeah. So a hundred is a good base to work off of. Um, but for some people, they may do a hundred grams of carbs and find that they need more or less. So some people need less in order to lose weight. That's just a straight fact. If you're a woman in her fifties, 
going through menopause, you may need to reduce your carbohydrates further than 100 grams per day in order to lose weight. That's that's just how it is. And depending on how jacked up your metabolism is, for how many years you've been eating carbs and vegetable oil, uh, is going to determine how low you need to drop your carbs in order to keep your body in fat burning mode and lose weight. So 100 is kind of like the starting point we work off of. Um, but for some people, they want to accelerate their progress, or if they're not seeing results by keeping it at 100, it may be a good idea to, excuse me, to drop it down a little bit lower. Exactly. And that 100 grams should be enough to cover a lot of really high nutrient density foods, things like those berries, nuts and seeds, stuff that gives you an incredible amount of nutrition and vitamins, mineral, fiber, probiotics, all kinds of good stuff that if you go fully keto or, or fully zero carb, whatever, now you have to really, really be a very, very intentional, purposeful, well-educated person on how to actually still get all the nutrients you need. It's much easier to cover those nutritional basises with some of the foods that are rich in them. And some of them are carbohydrate rich foods too. So a hundred grams of carbs should be more than enough to enjoy your food a bit while still covering all of the bases, but does make you have to go from getting those carbs from things like, you know, a giant bag of pretzels that gives you virtually no nutrients to things like berries and nut butters and sprouted grain breads and zucchini and butternut squash noodles and things like that. Uh, dairy is another great example. You know, we love, uh, this brand organic pastures they they're in fresno they make raw dairy products that are wonderful but a glass of full fat raw dairy is still kind of high in carbohydrates but it's got so much other good stuff in it that it would be kind of a waste to not to not have it since since we have the access to it mm -hmm. so it's nutrient dense exactly per, so, per carb exactly so 100 grams should fully satisfy the carbs that you need just you have to be more intentional and more strategic about them. Cool. Can we talk dinner and then bring this plane in for a landing? Yeah, let's talk about dinner. Pretty similar to lunch. It's either less of the carbs that you're having would be a good first step. Um, so if you're having pasta, less of it. If you're having tortillas, less tortillas, more of the, the meat, the mm -hmm. sauce, things like that. Then step two maybe would be to find a better carb. So maybe you start with uh, Ezekiel products and you make Dr. Eric's day apparently. <laughs> um, and then maybe from there you'd move on to, okay, now I'm going to have a vegetable carbohydrate as opposed to the traditional carb I was having. And maybe you even get to the point where you're having very low carbohydrates. Exactly. So a, a great dinner could just be steak and vegetables, piece of salmon and vegetables. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. Or a big salad or you know what? Eggs with some bacon. Those are all mm. great dinners. Um, we can release ourselves from the societal conventions of you have to have certain things at breakfast, certain things at lunch, certain things at dinner, and our, our digestive systems and our body will thank us for it. Mm -hmm. What about dessert? Dessert, huh? Yeah. What happens when we start craving sweets? Yeah, and personally, I find that... Can we eat the all the things that are made with like the like stevia? Okay. Yeah, so our stance at his village on any artificial sweetener is that it communicates something to your body that doesn't actually happen, and it's not it's good. Lying. It's lying. So it's like you're telling your body, hey, you're about to get glucose, sugar, and then it doesn't. And that's like <laughs> all relationships are built upon trust. 
<laughs> as, as I'm sure your therapist will tell you when you go to get your lunch therapy. <laughs> um, so if you have, if, if you lie to your body constantly, you're going to tell your body that, Hey, I told you I was going to give you sugar. I know I promised that to you, buddy, but, but, but then I, I didn't do it. Daddy, daddy didn't do what he said he was going to do. Um, I'm imagining talking to my three-year-old, you know, and I wouldn't want to have this conversation. So anyways, you're telling your body that something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen. And it creates a dysfunctional relationship with, with the body. Now, just like you have with your son. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Dr. Matt is a great father. His kids are incredible. Thank you. That's very it's, kind of you. It's, a, it's true. Thanks, They're man. great kids. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, so now there's artificial sweeteners that are better than others. Sure. So if it's really important to you, if you had the choice between... Um, eating some cookies that are pre-made from Safeway and uh, making your own cookies and using an artificial sweetener like Stevia. At this point in my life, I would say go with the Stevia cookies. Yeah, let's, let's, what... let's go on a quick history lesson of, okay. of sweeteners. So we, you know, if you think back in the day, it was those little like blue and, and yellow packets in the diner sweet. next to the white ones, right? Yeah. The white ones were the actual sugar. And then you had, uh, uh, like the ones we used to play like table football with. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> you know, my grandpa used to, he would take those little jelly things in diners and he would eat like 10 of them before we got our food. What? Yeah. He grew up in the depression. Okay. Yeah. So wow. There's a nutritional strategy for that. I'm sure. <laughs> anyway. So originally we were, um, we had sweeteners that, you know, these days there's a lot of contention about it. You know, aspartamine, sweet and low, um, saccharin and, um, and Splenda. And there's been a lot of uh, experimentation on cute furry four-legged mice, um, some of which I, I believe got cancer. <laughs> the research is a little bit all over the place, but they're, they're, they're questionable. And I think the biggest problem with them is they just taste terrible. Mm-hmm. And then the next wave were the sugar alcohols, and that was things like erythritol and sorbitol. Usually it ends with all. And the problem with those is that they're really, really hard on the gut. And, you know, people these days seem to have more sensitive guts than ever before. Most people are uh, dealing with some sort of food sensitivity issues and having trouble with regularity and all kinds of other stuff. And that, that could be a whole nother podcast, but right now we definitely don't want to provoke our guts any more than we've already provoked them. And sugar alcohols will do that. So it's uh, important for no other reason than just your, your, uh, to not be queasy and, and have too much time in the bathroom, uh, avoid sugar alcohols. And then the third wave were the, 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 the plant-based things. Stevia was, uh, I remember when that was making headlines and it was revolutionary and it was just leaf and then now there's a lot of attention on monk fruit and probably the the plant-based ones are a bit healthier um, just because they're closer to a real food that exists in nature as opposed to something created in a lab however a lot of those are paired with the sugar alcohol so there's a, a monk fruit sweetener that everybody is using now and it's like mostly erythritol, and then there's monk fruit sweetener as the as the second ingredient. So it, 
a lot of times you don't even you're not even getting what you think you're getting which is again read your labels read your ingredients know what you're actually eating but the overall effect of all of these is like dr matt said confusion in your body miscommunication in your body and we want our sense of hunger to guide us we want it to not just tell us when to eat but what to eat and so when we eat things that communicate poorly and confuse our taste buds, we lose a really important relationship with our sense of taste that can be our greatest ally in knowing what to eat and when. So if somebody had the choice between eating a brownie that was made with traditional sugar and a brownie made with stevia, and they could only pick one of those two options, uh, what would you, how would you counsel them? I would probably just tell them to eat the one with the sugar mm -hmm. because it just is what it is. Their body thinks they're getting sugar and then they get the sugar. That might not be ideal, yeah, but it's at least the thing that your body thinks is happening is happening. Right. And in, in the big picture, the problem with most Americans is that it's not just the brownie for dinner. It's the car, the brownie after dinner, it's the carbs they had for dinner, the big, volume of carbs they had for lunch and the big volume of carbs they had for breakfast, plus the snacks throughout the day, any alcohol or other beverages they're drinking that are high in carbs. It's the total load of carbohydrates that are cumulative and constantly spiking insulin. And eventually the system wears out and that's where we get to diabetes. Exactly. And most people are thinking about things just in terms of calories and they're trained to think, oh, the low calorie option is better, which that stevia brownie would be lower calories. Than the, than the brownie with sugar, but it's really not so much about the calories as the communication. And you're trying to teach your body to communicate well with itself so that it can regulate its own weight. And when you do all these things, you start to wean yourself off of this energy band-aid of carbohydrate. You start to eliminate these energy uh, wrenches in the, in the engine of toxic vegetable oils and fats and you start to set your body up to actually use mono unsaturated and saturated fats slower burning carbs so that it can actually communicate well and regulate its own energy and if it knows that it has too much stored energy if you have fat that needs to be shed then your body is also going to make you less hungry so that you actually use that fat for fuel. And that's the essence of losing weight, is your body actually using its stored energy, its stored fat for fuel. But it can only do that once you start to solve that energy crisis by putting healthier foods in your body and you start communicating well and stop confusing it with things like artificial sweeteners. Cool, so I think the practical points and you can add anything you want here. Number one is eat a little bit less of the carbs you're eating. Number two would be make better carb choices. Find alternatives like Ezekiel 49 products um, that swap out the traditional carbohydrates you're eating for ones that are slower digesting, higher in nutrients. And then even maybe a little further along that same spectrum would be to try a vegetable alternative or, or vegetables in lieu of the traditional carbs that you're eating. And then maybe the final step would be to graduate some of your meals to being much higher in fat, very low in carbohydrates. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good order of things. 
what if we what if we created two hypothetical people one person who is brand new to all this stuff yeah they're eating tons and tons and tons of of uh sugary products all day long their their breakfast is uh you know muffins and, and donuts and, and pop tarts or whatever with you know with with fruit juice and then they're having a sugary snack in the you know mid-morning and then their lunch is potato chips and pretzels and candy and a sandwich and a soda and fries <laughs> and then their afternoon snack is a you know a snickers bar or something and then at dinner they're having a big bowl of pasta with um well, anyway you can see where i'm going so that that's yeah. our first person what can they do that requires the least amount of willpower that will have the biggest effect? What would that person's first steps be at each of those meals? And, and this, this will be kind of uh, redundant with what we've talked about before, just a different way to summarize the information. What was that person's breakfast? <laughs> Donuts okay. and coffee or a Pop-Tart or a muffin yeah. or a giant bowl of cereal. Yeah, I would encourage that person to go with the Ezekiel 4-9 route for breakfast. Does that make you happy? <laughs> so happy. So happy. Um, and just first switching from a fast digesting carb to a slower one with more nutrients. That would be my my pick for that person. Okay. What do you think? So instead of the, the donut, they're just going to have uh, the like the sprouted grain toast or something? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. And then what about, um, what about their mid-morning snack? Cut it. Just cut it completely. Yeah. Make it to lunch. Just fight it out. Fight it out. Or you could you could have a higher fat snack like um, almonds or okay. macadamia nuts, something like that. Yeah, maybe dark chocolate and almonds or something mm-hmm. like that. Sounds good. Yeah. And then what about lunch? They're diehard. They got their sandwich, Wonder Bread, uh, bag of chips, bag of pretzels, candy bar, apple, fruit juice, and soda. <laughs> Yeah, as quickly as possible, I'd want that person eating a, just the sandwich with maybe maybe the sandwich and the apple. It's like, all right, or maybe a small baby step would be let's cut out the bag of chips. Yeah. Keep everything else the same, cut the bag of chips, um, add a little bit more meat or cheese to your sandwich to, I guess, make up for the caloric difference. You may not even need to. It's almost not so much about the calories. It's just what your body's expecting. It's you kind right. of get into the psychology of it. It's just like you want to just shovel all this food in your mouth is kind of a cathartic experience yeah maybe it's how you de-stress from you know a tough morning at work or something like that and you just look forward to putting a bunch of food in you changing what that food is is an easy way to make a big difference in the carbohydrate content and the the overall quality of the food with while not losing some of that cathartic experience that you're looking for although probably eventually you want to address that too but again we're talking about somebody very baby steps right now okay what about uh, my mid-afternoon crash uh, your mid-afternoon crash i would i would encourage you to either a go with a slower carbohydrate like um i mean even a piece of fruit would be better than what most people eat but even better would be something like an ezekiel product or like we talked about earlier the the nuts chocolate higher fat option to give you some sort of caloric intake but get you through or or just um eat enough at your meals that you're able to make it from breakfast to lunch to dinner yeah what about sparkling water what about it i mean i (laughs) i love it personally sparkling water is an amazing substitute for a lot of the sugary drinks that people are, are accustomed to having and if you get a sparkling mineral water 
you have an amazing eating experience because of all of that, all those bubbles and, and, and texture and everything. They sometimes come with flavors, but then you're not getting that crazy dose of sugar or artificial sweetener. Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome alternative to any sort of soda um, or drink that's carbonated to give you that quenched. Yeah, just want to look out for those artificial sweeteners. And then what about dinner? Dinner. Um, what did this person eat before? <laughs> what were they doing with their life? <laughs> They've been eating quite a lot. So I'll, I'll answer that. It really comes down to what is going to make the most sense to you in that moment. And, and a lot of times once you've started to change breakfast, once you've started to change lunch, once you've started to change your snacking, you're not going to want the same dinner that you had before. And part of that is just going to be the positive momentum that you've built. You're not going to want to derail that at the end of the day. So once you start to make these changes, even those baby steps, and you start to just focus on one meal, whether it's breakfast or lunch at a time, there's momentum that builds from meal to meal and from day to day. So some of those choices are going to start to become more intuitive. That person, it also might just be something as simple as splitting what they were having in lunch and splitting it between lunch and dinner. And like you talked about, switching out those fast carbs for the slow carbs, adding in more healthy fats, adding in an avocado or something like that. Nice. Did you want to talk about the other person as well? Nah, that person's doing just fine. They're doing fine, okay. They're doing just fine. You know who you are and... You're doing just fine. <laughs> Beautiful. So on our next episode, we're going to be talking about sourcing um, and how to find foods that are maximally nutrient-dense and how important the sourcing and location of your food is. Can't wait.